Hello, and welcome to the IQT Podcast. I'm Dylan George, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Caitlin Rivers, as a co-host for a special BNEC series on outbreak analytics and forecasting. You may be asking yourself, what is outbreak analytics and forecasting? Well, Caitlin and I will explore the topic with you. In this series, we will investigate what it is, how it has been used to help with pandemic response efforts, and what we need to improve these capabilities. Along the way, we will chat with a range of special guests who have developed or used advanced analytics for decision-making during outbreaks. These guests include world-class modelers that have worked to help understand pandemics and people who have been leading responses. We'll also talk with people working on technologies that could be useful for collecting, cleaning, aggregating, and analyzing data, the data that are needed for outbreak analytics and forecasting. So I think it'll be a fun series and we're excited about it and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have an interesting discussion today. To, uh, today, my fabulous co-host, uh, Dr. Caitlin Rivers, and I are joined on the podcast by our esteemed guest, uh, Nita Madhav, the CEO of Metabiota, which incidentally is an Incutel portfolio company. Uh, we're excited about this company and technology because we see real benefits for national security broadly. Uh, and today we're here to get an overview of the company and their technology with a particular interest in what they have done and are doing to help out with the COVID-19 response. And so first off, Nita, thank you for being here, and we appreciate you taking time uh, to talk with us. Thanks, Nita. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, super. Um, you know, as we are witnessing, you know, with uh, COVID-19 response, uh, we see that data are critical for public health. Um, just... Uh, uh, just recently, Tom Frieden, Dr. Tom Frieden, who used to be the, the former CDC director, recently tweeted the following. He said, um, this may be the single most important thing I can share from 30 years of fighting epidemics. The best programs use real-time data to keep ahead of the virus. And when we learn new information and adapt our tactics, that shows we're making progress, not mistakes. I mean, that's a powerful comment on the importance of data for guiding pandemic response. Um, you know, data should guide responses to outbreaks and improving how we collect, clean, aggregate, analyze, and visualize data can improve decision-making. And, you know, Dr. Frieden's 30 years of experience are a testament uh, to the importance of data. And interestingly enough, uh, Caitlin actually had an opportunity to um, um, testify before Congress with Dr. Frieden um, the beginning of May, wasn't it, Caitlin? Yeah, it was. And it was such a great opportunity to learn from his experiences about how he's thinking about the COVID outbreak. And I do think data are one of data is one of those important uh, resources that we should be using to guide our decision making. Yeah. Now, uh, a range of companies and technologies have been helpful in developing capabilities to understand and respond to COVID. We wanted to discuss these efforts and highlight a few of them. And that's why today we're so pleased to have uh, Nita from from Metabiota with us. Um uh, first, uh, Nita, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, what was the path that brought you to Metabiota, and um, uh, you know how long have you been with the company and, and that and that sort of thing? What, what's your background? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, thanks, Dylan, and uh, great to be here today. Uh, so, as um, as Dylan mentioned, I'm the chief executive officer of Metabiota, um, which I've now been for almost a year. 
And prior to this, I was the vice president of data science at Metabiota, um, and I was in that role for about three and a half years. So I've been at Metabiota now for uh, four and a half years and uh, really have been working to build out the data and analytic tool set that we um, have been developing over over these years. Um, prior to being at Metabiota, I actually worked at a probabilistic modeling and risk assessment firm for 10 years. So I have about 15 years of experience working in this area. My background is actually in epidemiology. So I um, trained in that uh, with a master's of science and public health from Emory University, uh, Rollins School of Public Health. And uh, prior to that, I have a bachelor's of science in ecology and evolutionary biology from Yale. Nice. Um, uh did you work by chance with John Brownstein when you were at Yale or did you know John from other other places? Yes, I worked with him quite a bit. We co-authored a paper about the uh, dispersal of the black-legged tick and the implications for Lyme disease. So, yes, I I know John Brownstein quite well. Yeah, John's great. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, um that's really, you know, pretty pretty fascinating background and and um you know, can you can you talk a little bit more about um, risk analytics as a field? Because uh, I think for some people that will, when you say risk analytics, that means something. And for others, it's uh, that just blew right by them. But uh, can you describe a little bit about what you mean when you say risk analytics as a, as a industry? Oh, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, so what we're trying to do when we're doing risk analytics is to have a, a a view of what are the types of events that could happen and how bad could they be. Uh, so a lot of it is uh, is running different types of scenarios and using them for planning purposes so that people can better understand what risks they're exposed to and how to better prepare for them. And um, when you were doing the risk and uh, analytics, um, uh, what types of topics were you working on um, before you were at Metabiota? <clears throat> Well, um, the company I worked at specialized in a field called catastrophe modeling. So they, what, what the goal was, was to look at the types of extreme events that could happen and how, how bad they could be. Um, and a lot of it was for uh, helping in actually the insurance industry to be uh, better financially prepared to handle the situation in the case when they would have to pay out a lot of claims. So it's uh, kind of an interesting application. And while I had been working on that, um, I actually started out looking at things like hurricanes and earthquakes and other types of natural hazards um, and then eventually turned to looking and applying these types of tools to epidemics and pandemics. Now, uh, so tell me, why would you need to do this catastrophic modeling um, to get a better sense of the risk analytics? Why couldn't you just do the actuarial sort of approach like you do with um, car accidents or um, accidents at home or uh, or life insurance for that that matter? What, why is there this needed um, additional modeling component needed for these um, uh, natural disaster catastrophic events? Oh, it's such a good question. Uh, I'm glad you asked. So there, there are techniques for using you know, what are called actuarial approaches to better understand uh, you know, likely scenarios. But those types of approaches are really more suited for situations where we do have a very uh, you know, rich data set and a long history to look at 
for um, understanding claims uh, that have happened in the past. And then that can be used as an informative uh, tool for the future. But when we're looking at events that are rarer um, or what some call you know, high impact, low probability types of events, we don't have this uh, rich history to look at, even though you know, we, we have actually um, at Metabiota compiled a data set of over 2,500 epidemics looking at them historically. This still uh, needs to be supplemented and augmented with the catastrophe modeling or extreme events modeling approach, which really does allow us to get a better sense of that tail where, where many of the more extreme events lie um, and gives us a, a more informed view of possibilities that we may not have seen happening occur previously in history. Yeah, no, super exciting. And it's, uh, it, it seems that, you know, some of the benefits to, um, you know, uh, the insurance industry and risk analytics generally in, in for natural disasters and adding the modeling component to the actual empirical data has just been really interesting. Um, uh, it's been fascinating to learn from you about this particular field as well. But, you know, it's like looking at these uh, black swan events. I, 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 I guess I don't know. I don't know, Caitlin. I, I guess we could say that we're in a black swan event right now in terms of <laughs> uh, low probability, high impact. Well, I was just going to ask how coronavirus uh, rates on that scale, because I know high end events can get really quite catastrophic. And although this pandemic is once in a century, I'm just wondering where it falls on on your scale. Well, that's another really good question. Um, I, I would consider this event more of a grace one. I think it's <laughs> something that we in the public health community, in the risk um, analytics community have you know, tried to sound the alarm for the, the yeah. possibility of this type of event to occur. And so, you know, I think kind of one scary thought is that there are events that are even worse than what we're seeing today and yeah. actually many yeah. events that are possible. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. Great, great, great point. Sobering. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sobering. Yeah. So, so tell us about Metabito. Tell us about your company. You, you describe your mission as making the world more resilient to epidemics. And it seems amazingly timely and, and that you provide data, analytics, advice, and training to prepare for global health threats and mitigate their impacts. Uh, you know, another way of describing your efforts would be that uh, you are developing these risk analytics so organizations can assess the frequency, severity, and impact of, of these risks. Um, so, so tell us a little bit more about how you are doing that sort of work at Metabiota. Yeah, thanks uh, for that uh, lead-in. That was a really good uh, description of what we do. Um, you know, I think maybe just to add to that, we are within our company. So we've been established since 2008, and we've been working on this mission ever since then. Um, we have a, a part of the company that works on these uh, trainings and uh, working out in the field. You know, uh, we're headquartered in San Francisco, but we have a field office based in Cameroon and another one in Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, where we are um, doing a lot of training efforts and local capacity building. Um, and then on our data analytics tool set, as we noted, we're building out data indices and models that allow us to better uh, quantify the risk and to help our uh, companies for customers and our government uh, customers to better uh, mitigate and manage against epidemic risk. 
Nice. Yeah. So, so, so tell us a little bit more about how you've aggregated this data. I mean, you know, uh, one of the, I, I think, I think Caitlin, this was when I first, when we first met, it was like during the Ebola response back in 2014 and 2015. And Caitlin was the pointy end of the spear of like scraping PDFs from West Africa to try to get together a unified data set so that we could actually understand what was going on there. And so, uh, I think that's when we first met, wasn't it, Caitlin? It was 2014 yes. Ebola. Yes, it was the uh, last major crisis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we've had Zika since then, so maybe yes. that's not even true. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, but um, you know, it's uh, what Caitlin was doing back then was, re- I mean, it was just scraping data to try to get it together. And tell us a little bit more about how you've done that to um, be able to do this kind of effort with um, uh to combine the modeling and the empirical data together to get a better sense of the risk analytics? Yeah, it's a great question and uh, something that we've been working on over the past five years, you know, um, building on efforts of, uh, you know, of Caitlin and others uh, who've really um, uh, been pioneers in this area, um, you know, trying to combine both um, human um, analysts and human intelligence with artificial intelligence to do um, what we call open source intelligence, which is looking at these publicly available data sources from ranging from media reports to what ministries of health are putting out versus what WHO is reporting and using our tools to curate, validate and uh, structure this data into a a pretty um, sizable data set that we now have. And we actually went back all the way to the 1918 pandemic and started looking at the data from from that and structuring that into both, um, you know, what the spatial granularity that was available as well as the temporal evolution. And so we we have this data and we, uh, you know, with the greatest representation coming from data starting in the 1960s as uh, you know WHO started to report uh, more of their information. Um, and so that is the data set that we're working on, we continue to add to it with uh, our new real-time surveillance, um, structuring data that's coming out even today on the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're also tracking dozens of other outbreaks um, and structuring this data set. So that's one part of of what we're doing. Um, A second part is in our index building approach where we're looking at different data sources to rate um, epidemic preparedness levels in different countries. So we've created a metric that uh, rates how prepared a, a country is to um, detecting and responding to epidemic threats. And we've done that for over 188 countries. Um, and we've also created a scoring system looking at different pathogens to understand the level of fear that they might cause. And this has actually um, turned out to be something that is very informative about the level of economic impact that could occur. And so those are, uh, you know, par- another part of what we do. And then the third piece is the modeling that we touched on earlier, looking at, uh, you know, running computational epidemiological models that require a lot of initial assumptions and parameterizations, but in- simulates how epidemics spread from person to person and place to place. Uh, and tracks this on a, in a you know, simulated environment on a daily basis and incorporates all of this uh, data that I mentioned to uh, 
build out parameter distributions and to look at it probabilistically. Um, and then also incorporates the potential for uh, different types of intervention measures that could occur and what their impacts might be in, into the simulations and relying on some of the indices I mentioned. So I hope that um, helped to explain things. And yeah, yeah, no, that that was that, that was great. You know, um, so tell me a little bit more about the the preparedness index and the fear index in terms of. You know, how well have they been borne out by um, the COVID-19 uh, events? And um, was the did the indices uh, help you determine which countries were doing well and where you were seeing more impact? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that we're continuing to track and look at because the event uh, continues. And uh, so we're we're continuing to get more and more data on this. Um, we have done some early assessments of the uh, performance of the um, Epidemic Preparedness Index, and um, we, we do have a, a scientific publication uh, about that index um, that's available in the scientific literature, um, if anyone's interested to check it out. Um, and we um, have looked at how this um, index tracks against the type of reporting that we're seeing from countries, um, the timing of the reporting, and um, you know the the level of, of underreporting that we're seeing, and I think we have seen that it's tracking relatively well compared to some of you know what, what the expectation might be that you know better prepared countries seem to be able to have better reporting. I think one notable outlier is the U.S., um, although it we you know it, it it's kind of scored in the top bracket, although it wasn't in the top score. But we think that um, it hasn't performed as well as expected, given where it had scored at that time. Um, that's this a, that's a diplomatic way of saying it. Yes, agreed. <laughs> agree. <laughs> yes, um, you know, and, and so this index uh, had come out in a couple where we developed it a couple years ago. So um, obviously, with the new learnings, uh, this will be updated. Um, and then on the fear index, this one has been uh, a very um, important metric uh, during this pandemic. So we've actually looked at over 100 um, different pathogens uh, from previous epidemics and scored them based on different characteristics of those pathogens, such as the types of symptoms that it causes, the uh, level of um, the potential for death, um, the the types of treatments or vaccines that are available um, and things of that nature are included into how we create these scores for different pathogens. And so the idea is that if there's a new pathogen that emerges, such as COVID-19, we can then apply the characteristics we know about that pathogen and then create a new score for it. And so we actually did start tracking uh, in early January um, when this first, uh, you know, was, uh, came to uh, public light as a I mean, unspecified pneumonia, we'd actually started tracking it at that point. And we initially, when there wasn't very much information about the transmission patterns and it, it, it wasn't clear that there was extensive human to human transmission, this, uh, we had actually scored this, uh, pathogen at a, kind of medium uh, fear level. But then once we, the news started coming out that this was actually something that could spread readily from person to person, this the fear score actually shot up and this went past a certain threshold that we had 
determined based on our previous uh, work uh, that there, there's kind of a cutoff point when the score exceeds a certain value, that's when you can expect to see very significant economic losses. And so we actually did find that this, uh, this event uh, fell into that category where we, we could expect to see extreme losses. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, no, very, very interesting. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, no, this has been really interesting, uh, Nita. And, um, so what all are you working on? Is there anything else that you're working on next to help out with, uh, uh, the COVID response? Yeah. Well, we're, we're really in the, uh, in the thick of it right now. Um, Indeed. we're with different, uh, parts of the of company working on, on different aspects. Um, so I mentioned, you know, our work in Cameroon, uh, we're continuing to do laboratory support there, testing support and trainings, uh, amongst health professionals. And then we're also, um, providing our data and analytic tool sets to our customers to continue to monitor the situation, to help in decision making. We're doing some forecasting around the um, epidemic, uh, but it's something that, uh, you know, now that there are many uh, kind of uh, other other forecasts out there. It seems that uh, that's not necessarily where uh, where we need to be. We're, we're you know we're happy to provide this information, but um, we we're now kind of looking forward to how to better uh, create financial protections around this type of event in the future. Uh, you know we've done quite a bit of work with the insurance industry, and so a lot of our current work is around how. Can we, uh, you know, build these public-private partnerships to uh, allow for better financial protection for these types of events? Yeah, could you talk a little bit more about that too? Because most people that know risk analytics know how integrated it is with the insurance industry. But again, for those that are not as familiar with the, the you know, the risk analytics and insurance industry, could you describe how people take the the output from risk analytics and turn it into some sort of products within the insurance industry to mitigate those financial losses? A very good question. So uh, there are a few ways. Um, so there, there are different parts of the insurance, um, what they call the value chain, where the type of data analytic tools that we're providing are helpful, um, ranging all the way from uh, helping um, end, end users, who would be the, the corporates, uh, or, or companies to actually be able to uh, assess what their risk might be. So given on where they're uh, having, you know, where, where they're headquartered or where their operations are or what sort of supply chains they have in place, um, we can provide them tools to help them uh, better to assess uh, what, what sort of um, diseases they might be exposed to given where they're operating, for example. Um, another uh, piece of it, uh, you know, is in the with the insurers themselves trying to develop these insurance policies. Um, this is a, a what, what would be considered a new risk class, um, especially trying to look at how um, business interruption is affected by these types of events. And that's something that traditionally insurance has not covered. And so we're trying to help foster a new sort of market here for, for insurance. And when, when this occurs, there's a lot of questions about how to develop these policies, you know, what types of events should it cover? How long of a duration should it cover? All of these types of questions. What what should the trigger conditions be for a payment to occur? So the what we're building out is uh, aims to help insurers to actually answer these questions and be able to develop these policies. 
And so, and then on top of that, we also are helping them with um, underwriting, um, doing, figuring out what the pricing might be. You know, we, we give them these tools. They have their own methods of determining pricing, but they use the information that we're providing about the frequency and severity of these types of events, feeding it into their own methods and algorithms and coming out with some numbers um, on that. So, um, so it's kind of like trying to help foster the development of this market by providing these type of data and tools that are needed in order to, um, you know, to to satisfy the level of rigor that's needed in order to write um, insurance around this. Yeah, no, it's been it's been fascinating learning from you and your colleagues about, you know, the saturation within the insurance industry in terms of, you know, fire, theft, auto, home uh, and the, the fierce competition amongst the insurance agent uh, companies around those and the you know the the need to expand into new areas like catastrophic um uh um situations and natural disasters and terrorism and then now in, into kind of um epidemics of some sort and so it's been fascinating to learn from you all about uh uh how this potentially could be expanded the the risk analytics space and you guys are on the pointy end of the spear of trying to figure that out which has been very exciting <clears throat> Yeah, it's definitely been a, a journey. Um, it's it, a lot of it is uh, the timing the, yeah. of, of having this. And I think what we're seeing now is is the recognition that this is an important risk class and that more needs to be done to better mitigate against the human and financial impacts. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so this has been a terribly interesting, Anita, really um it, Really appreciate you coming and, and chatting with us. Um, if people are interested in learning more about Metabiota, how would they get a hold of you or where should they go to find out more information? Well, we, we do have our website. Um, it's www.metabiota.com. Um, that gives quite a bit of information and we have a contact form on there. Um, we can also, we take emails uh, and the email address would be info at metabiota.com. Um, and then, uh, thirdly, we have a, a, a freely available website called the Epidemic Tracker, which is just www.epidemictracker.com that uh, displays some of the data that we're collecting. And we actually also have published our COVID-19 data set on uh, the Humanitarian Data Exchange. So if anyone's really curious about downloading the data, it's posted up there. Nice, nice. Yeah, and before we sign off, too, it's like, Caitlin, any other questions from you or any other kind of um, uh, bits you wanted to ping Nita with while we have her on the hot seat? <laughs> no, this has been so interesting and never a better time to make the point that pandemics can be so impactful than what we're all living through right now. <laughs> amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nita, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us um, about what you're doing uh, as a company, what your technology is, and how you're helping out with uh, COVID-19. Uh, so thank you for spending some time with us. Um, and thank you to uh, the listeners for tuning in. So be safe and be kind. Thank you for listening to today's episode as a part of the Be Next Outbreak Analytics and Forecasting Series. Please make sure to subscribe to the IQT podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Podbean to be kept up to date on new episodes. For more information on BeNext, visit www.benext.org. A special thank you to Carrie Sessing, 
and the absolutely wonderful Kristen Zender from IQT's marketing team, and to our friends at HeartCast Media for serving as our recording studio. Thanks for listening, and take care. <laughs>